Coaches, what is up? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, your podcast for all things D-line play. And this is episode number 125. We are back to the podcast. I was doing last week's episode on YouTube only, just something we were trying out there. Hope you got to catch that episode. If you didn't, you can go find that episode and several others uh, there on our YouTube page, uh, a link to which can be found in the show notes of today's episode. And so it was a good thing that we just did video last week, because as you'll hear in my conversation later on today, my voice last week was struggling because of some respiratory stuff I had going on. But hey, we're back this week and, and close to 100% and ready to dive into today's episode. It's a busy week for us here at KYPD because uh, in addition to carrying on with our normal podcast schedule and just all the things that go on with, uh, you know, getting a podcast together, contacting coaches, recording, editing out episodes, and all of that sort of thing. We're also partnering with the guys over at Our Coaching Network, one of the sponsors for this podcast, to host a live four-hour clinic covering the 425 defense this Saturday, March 12th, beginning at 10 a.m. and running till 2 p.m. We'll kick things off with KYPD alum and current Harding University defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator Trayvon Biglow, who will be talking about defensive line play in the Bison's 425 defense that has been dominant for the last several years and help them win the Great American Conference in the 2021 season. And then we'll have newly named Legacy Christian Academy head coach Toby Trotter, uh, who's coached on both the high school and the college levels, who's going to be covering DB play in the 425, talking coverages, technique, all of that stuff. And that's actually going to be a two-hour block. That's going to go from 11 to 1. And then we'll close things out with Midlothian Heritage defensive coordinator Eric Edwards, who'll be talking about linebacker play in the 425 from 1 to 2 p.m. Central. Guys, if you are a 425 guy, you're interested in learning more about it, this clinic is a must, and here's how you get in on this awesome opportunity we have going down this weekend, Saturday, March 12th. First, you got to get over to Our Coaching Network and set up your account. It's easy. It's affordable. You can sign up for a free week and instantly have access to hundreds of hours of outstanding clinics by coaches from all over the country covering every facet of football. Once you've created your account, you can cancel at any time, so there's no risk. Also, another benefit of joining the network is once you become a member, you're instantly connected through our coaching network with all of those coaches who are presented and can send them messages about questions you may have had about their presentation. So head over to our coaching network, sign up today, and we will see you Saturday. Also want to make sure I shout out our guys at Go Edit Graphics. Coaches, spring sports are in full swing. So how are you communicating with your fans, your parents, and your community about things like final scores, schedules, starting lineups, or scholarship offers? Well, if you don't have a great answer to that question, then you need to head on over to Go Edit Graphics, an awesome graphic design site that allows any coach to create custom graphics from their library of templates in a matter of minutes by changing the colors, the text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is super easy. It's affordable, and no design skills are needed. Go Edit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Also, if you check out our Twitter feed today and see the graphic that we posted with this episode link for Coach Urgellis, that entire graphic was created by me in just a few minutes with GoEdit. I picked the pictures I wanted to use, I changed the colors and text to what I wanted the graphic to say, and bam, I'm done. So the process is super easy and it's user-friendly. And just like last season, mention Keep Your Pads Down when you're ordering and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Highlight your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Okay, so like I mentioned, today we're getting back to our podcast format. 
uh, welcoming on a guy who's a friend of the show and someone I've learned a lot from over the past year and really enjoyed getting to know. In Spring Westfield, defensive line coach Stephen Yergelis. Coach Yergelis grew up in the Houston area and returned back to his old stomping grounds this past summer to help the Mustangs to an undefeated regular season and a 12-1 record overall in a spot in the state regional semifinals in 6A Division I. Prior to coming to Westfield, Coach spent some time at Waco Midway High School, Garland High School, and Beaumont Westbrook. Coach Regalis attended the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, where he was in the Corps of Cadets and was a student assistant coach for the Bulldogs. In the 2021 season, the Westfield Mustangs had one of the scariest defensive line units in the state, headlined by University of Houston commit A.J. Holmes, who was selected as SB Nation's Texas High School Defensive Player of the Year, Touchdown Club of Houston's Defensive Player of the Year, District MVP, he was a finalist for Dave Campbell's Mr. Texas Football Award. Oh, yeah, and he was also academic All-State as well. So today, Coach Urgellis is talking about coaching knockback with his defensive line and how he teaches this skill and then emphasizes it daily in practice. We also get in a few questions about film study and O-line pass protections there at the end. So it's an episode chocked full of great stuff. And look, you didn't get on here today to hear me ramble, so let's get to it. Here is Coach Steven Urgellis on episode number 125 of KYPD. Coach Urgellis, this one has been a long time coming. Glad we're, uh, we're finally to get this thing done. So welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Man, I'm glad to be here, man. Long time fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can always count on you to give me some feedback on episodes and things like that. And so really appreciate, you know, really appreciate that. And we also, uh, we get to talk, we, we talk kind of at least throughout the week through a text thread that we're on. So uh, with a bunch of other guys who have either been on this podcast or, uh, who like to listen to it and 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 that's that's been really cool too so to be able to sit down with you and talk one-on-one is is awesome so as i mentioned in the opener uh you did join us as a as a guest this summer along with you know six or seven other guys that which was a lot of fun we did an episode that was kind of like a round table deal uh and at the time you were still at waco midway i believe so now here we are less than a year later and a lot has changed for you since then so Fill us in on where you are now and what the last several months have been like for you there uh, in Houston area. Oh, man, it, it, it's been wild, to say the least, Ty. Um, I was at Waco, Waco Midway. We spoke over the summer, and then we had a coaching change. Uh, the coaching change sent my head coach to uh, the Dallas area, and I decided to uh, to part ways and go down south to Houston, closer to family, closer to where I'm from. Um, and I saw an opportunity at uh, Spring Westfield, excuse me, at Spring Westfield, and uh, I had a little bit of an end on the uh, the AD here at uh, at Spring ISD, and uh, interviewed, and I thought I interviewed pretty well. Met with the principal, and we had a hell of a year this year. We went uh, twelve and one, uh, made it to the third round of the playoffs, uh, beat some good Houston teams on the way there, and kind of stubbed our toe right there in the third round. But super proud of our guys on how they competed this year. Um, hell, I even started the uh, the first year of school in a hotel room tie, so that was a uh, that was fun. All right. Tell us that story. You start in the year in a hotel room. What, what happened there? So uh, our, the buyers of our property in Waco had delayed their closing, thus delayed our closing in Houston. So we should have moved like a week prior to school starting and actually have every box in the house by them. But they had a delay. So we had to delay our, uh, 
our our closing in this place over here. So that really uh, put a damper on things. It cost me a lot of money, Ty, a lot of money. Yeah, I, I was actually just talking today uh, to someone um, about just how how the pains of moving, right? Mm -hmm. And for coaches too, especially like a lot of people, you know, and it's it's different for everybody. But with coaches, like sometimes you get a job and you know, it's not like, um, you know, you, you, all right, I'm going to make a move. Sometimes things just fall in your lap, you know, kind of like what you're talking about. And you go from maybe thinking you're going to be at a place to all of a sudden things change. And so, you know, like for us moving up here, it's like, take the job in May, you know, so you got, you got to, the times, the clock's ticking, you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, everything's in a time crunch and, you know, uh, you got all these things you got to do. So yeah, I didn't have to live in a hotel, but um, you know, so we were fortunate that way, but yeah, that's a, that's a crazy story. And, and now, like you said, you guys did have a great year. And to me, when I think of spring Westfield, uh, I, I do think of D line play. I mean, crap, it's the home of Ed Oliver. Right. And, uh, and, and I know that there, there's, he's not the only one to come through there, but, um, so that's a really special place and, 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 and really glad that, that you're there and, and enjoying some success. And we're going to talk about that here in a second, but let's back up. And just talk about it, because I think you have an interesting story, uh, just how you were introduced to the game of football, you know, where you grew up and, you know, how that whole journey uh, got started. Oh, absolutely. I grew up in the Houston area. I grew up like in the southwest part of town. Uh, if you're from the Houston area, you know, A-Leaf and uh, the Fort Bend areas. Um, I graduated from Clements High School in Sugarland. Uh, my first two years, my first two years of varsity football, or I don't want to say varsity football, the first two years of high school our Clements High School wasn't very good. Like, if you know anything about Houston, Clements High School is not a powerhouse whatsoever. Uh, I think they went three and seven and two and eight uh, during those times. Uh, and then the head coach that I just worked for, Coach Hume, um, took over after my sophomore season. Um, after my sophomore season, he kind of turned it around and really had a, like a four or five year stretch of having a lot of success. Um, during my senior year, we broke the uh, – the drought of uh, playoffs when only three teams used to make the playoffs at that time. Um, and I really kind of bought in on really loving football at that time. Um, I played offensive line and defensive line, which really helped me as a coach understand angles and everything else and understanding both sides of the ball. Um, we took a lot of pride in, uh, since we weren't the powerhouse of most teams of, of the Houston area, uh, a bunch of the teams would schedule us for homecoming. And so we'd always have to see them go celebrate and that kind of stuff. And, we were kind of like the party crashers. I think we won every single one my senior year, which is a good deal. I think it was like three of them. Um, but just continuing on, um, if I backtrack really far back, uh, my mom's Peruvian and my dad's Cuban. I look like a white guy. I'm undercover. Like, if I don't say a word, you won't know that I'm fluent in Spanish. Uh, my kids, when I first start school and I start riding off some Spanish, they're all surprised. But it, it, it's fun. Um, it's really helped me out. Um, but I had to teach them football. Like they had zero clue on how many points a field goal was, how many points a touchdown was, any of that kind of stuff. Um, really, my neighbor uh, down the street, one of my best friends, uh, taught me the game of football. We start playing Madden, and I start asking questions, and I fell in love with the game. Um, we went through, and then my brother was in high school. My brother was quite a bit older than me. He's about seven years older than me, and he played for the uh, Hastings Bears in Ailey. And he was on the team when they had the state run. They went to the finals in 1997. And so we were going to the games in the Astrodome. We were going to games across Houston. 
And uh, when they were winning, I, I was hook, line, and sinker, loving football. We had the, all had all the shirts. I was following along. He played defensive line. So that's when I first got introduced to uh, to football at a pretty young age. I was probably like in second or third grade, probably fourth grade, somewhere around there. Um, and I love the, the the high school atmosphere, the band going. Um, it was an awesome experience. I couldn't let it go. I couldn't do something else. And so then from there, uh, you went on to the Citadel. And talk to us about that. You know, I'm sure there weren't a whole lot of dudes coming from your area going to the Citadel. How did that, how did that whole thing come about? So my brother went to the Citadel. Um, he graduated in 2003. Um, when my brother was in, in high school, he wasn't necessarily the greatest kid. He wasn't the greatest student. He wasn't really college material, so to speak, quote unquote, right? Uh, struggled with classes. And then I saw he finally went here, or excuse me, he only really wanted to go to community college, to be honest with you. Uh, he wanted to take a few classes in his spare time while he worked and getting associates possibly. He wasn't super interested. This pamphlet came in and he started looking at it and he did some research and he walked in and told my mom uh, that, hey, this is the place I want to go. And I saw how he, he was determined. He took classes, got his SAT scores up, um, went to the Citadel uh, and, and actually became super successful afterwards. Um, hell, he lives in San Diego. So that's not a bad gig for him right there. But uh, seeing, how, seeing how he did that, uh, kind of challenged me to do it too. Um, I, I needed that structure. I wasn't a super great student. Uh, to be honest with you, I was pretty average. I know uh, Clements is super high academic school, if you know anything about it. Um, but I still didn't, I felt like I didn't live up to my potential academically. Um, and athletically, I'm a five, I was a 5'10 offensive tackle, defensive tackle. Nobody was coming, coming knocking on my door to play football. So I wanted to do something different. So I decided to go to uh, Charleston, South Carolina and go uh, be a part of the Citadel. Um, I was a student assistant there for three years. I worked with the offensive line for a year and then the defensive line for two years while I was there. Okay, so do they have military? I'm, I don't know much oh, about Oh, they don't have military. It's a civilian military college. Okay. So okay. that's a very common question. You're, you're yeah. perfectly fine with that. Yeah. So you can join the military and you can join any branch of the military if you want to, if you meet all the qualifications, or you can graduate and be a regular civilian like I chose to do. I was really close to signing with the Army and doing all that jazz, but I really wanted to coach, and I didn't want to delay that four to eight more years. Yeah, um, They would have got they would have gotten paid for, would have been all that stuff, but uh, coaching really, really was my passion. I thought four years of the military life, quote-unquote military life, was, was enough. Yeah. And so uh, getting out of the real world was, was a good deal. So how, how did, then did you get into coaching? Like, what was your first job? Where was that? What was that like? Oh, so I had a, I had a, so at the Citadel, you have to graduate and you have to get certified to be a teacher to complete your your degree. And so I had a little delay. I had to be a, a, a in the meantime, after I graduated, I had to be a waiter at Papacito's Cantina. So after that, they somehow uh, it's a good place to graduate. Eat. It is a good place to yeah, eat, not the great place, place to, to work, dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyways, that was like a little part-time deal that I was working on. And then uh, finally, when all my stuff transferred over to Texas, which took a little while. I ended up at Beaumont Westbrook with Coach Flanagan, who's at Tomball right now. Um, I was the head freshman coach and the uh, the video coordinator. So needless to say, I got thrown into the fire as a, uh, as a first-year coach. Um, I think I learned a lot uh, during that time. He gave me a lot of responsibility. Uh, luckily, my wife didn't have a job at the time, so she was kind of doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work for me, like keeping up with some kids' grades and things like that. 
I don't even know if I made that public before, but she's been awesome. <laughs> We're doing that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Beaumont was a great place, a great, uh, some great people. Uh, I still talk to Coach Flanagan and some of those other guys still today. There's some good guys on that staff. So from there, uh, you, you're at Beaumont Westbrook. Um, where, where did you go from there? So I ended up going to uh, Garland uh, High School in, uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I decided to, to venture out a little bit. I know it was, it was a pay raise and some other things. Um, I met Coach uh, Jeff Jordan there. He's now at uh, TCU. He's kind of made the college rounds a little bit. Uh, probably one of the most organized guys I've ever worked for. Everything down to, uh, like, I kid you not, we would get an email every Sunday night on how to do things, when to do things, when the meetings were throughout the week. And if it was daylight savings time, who's in charge of changing the clocks? Like every single detail was uh, was noted on there. So I was there for about two years. Um, one great thing that happened at Garland, and I was kind of discouraged when it happened, but he hired two guys at the same time. Um, we were both freshman coaches at the time, and it was for a D-line, O-line spot, and then a DB's running back spot. And I'm a pretty big dude, and I walk in there, and I'm like, there's no way that I'm be coaching DBs and running backs. I'm surely going to be the O-line, D-line guy. The next guy walks in, and he's about significantly bigger than I am. So I became a DB's coach, <laughs> quick, fast, and in a hurry, uh, which really uh, I think at the time was, uh, I won't say disheartening, but a challenge to, to say the least. But it, but it really, really helped me out. So, you know, yeah, I mean, fortunately uh, for me, like I've kind of, you know, up prior to this year, actually, Coach defensive line mm -hmm. uh, all my career. And I say fortunately, you know, really it's I guess it's depending on how you look at it, because I do kind of wish at some point, you know, that I would have, you know, maybe coached on the other side of the ball or, you know, been forced to kind of coach the secondary or something like that. Because, you know, most of the most of my learning of those positions and those those areas have been, I've had to go seek that out, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But the, the benefits of it is that I, I feel like I became really good at coaching the defensive line, and that was kind of my thing. So for you, you know, as you do become a D-line coach and you kind of start going in that direction, how do you start developing these things like, you know, your coaching progression, your drills, or like how you're going to teach things? Because we all know there's a million ways to skin a cat, you know, and, and if you just go to a clinic and you try to do everything that you hear, or everything that you see online or everything you read in a book, it's, it's exhausting. So you kind of have to hone in on what you want to do. So how did you do that? Describe that process. Uh, I think you got to find a mentor that you really trust, to be honest with you. Um, like one of mine would be uh, one of my high school coaches was coach Knowles and then uh, coach now both worked at Midway. One was a DC. And then, you know, coach now being the D line coach there. Um, I'd watch film with them um, almost every minute on, on Saturday and Sunday ask questions, even if it was dumb questions, it helped me out or they put me in my place pretty quick. Um, and, and listening to these guys and just being in a room with where you're not the smartest guy in the room is, is a big thing for me. Um, one of the big things that attracted me, to be honest with you, to Westfield was it'd be the first time I was working with a, a defensive coordinator that was not a front seven guy. He was a back end guy. Um, and listening to him talk and how he put the, put the things together was uh, super intriguing to me, to be honest with you. Um, his name is uh, Desmar Black. He's coached in college. He's been at Westfield for quite a bit now. Um, but there's weeks that uh, he sets up the defense back in first. He sets up the front afterwards. Or if we need it the other way around, he sets it up the other way around. Um, and I think that really, really helps us out uh, be, a, be an elite unit. Um, he, he's an open book. He'll answer any questions I got. Um, 
I need to keep picking his brain because he's really, really good. Again, we talked about this past year. You mentioned it at the top of this conversation. Uh, you guys rolled through the, the regular season in the playoffs and, again, lost to a really talented DeSoto team. I don't think there's any shame in that. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a bunch of talented dudes playing for you. Uh, looking back, what was one thing in particular that, that you guys, you feel like were really good at? And how did you develop and emphasize that skill um, each day in practice and in, in your film study, things like that? Um, I, I know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be on this podcast if it weren't for some of those guys. And some of those guys were super talented. Uh, obviously, the top dog in the room was uh, was A.J. Holmes, who's going to U of H. Um, I think he was probably the best D lineman in the state. There was times where he's in the, in the voting for Mr. Texas football. Um, his leadership really took off. His uh, playmaking ability really took off his senior year compared to the film I saw the year before. Um, we had some other seniors, uh, whether it be Golston or Kalen Golston going to East Central or, uh, or Jaquiel Carr that, that he didn't even play last year because of COVID. And he came out and, and he bought in. Um, one of the things I thought my D-line did really, really well was create knockback. Um, I think all D-line coaches kind of seek that out, um, especially if they got some dudes. Um, that knockback really messed up the running game for those running backs and quarterbacks. We dent the offensive line and we uh, caused that running back to stutter, to hesitate uh, and mess up reads. Um, that's a benefit for the defense, in my opinion. Um, this allowed us to play a gap and a half of defense or play into our secondary gaps when we did create that knockback. Um, and to be honest with you, that we were fortunate enough to have one of those Jenkins sleds, those Eagle sleds, and we beat the brakes off that thing. Uh, I told uh, play. I told my players at the beginning of the year, and I showed them the video. I think it was Chandler Jones that broke the eagle sled. I go, if any of you break these things, I'm cooking you a steak dinner. And so that was kind of the joke throughout the year. Like I'm gonna get the steak dinner today during this practice, and they try to break my sled um, as hard as they came off the ball. So I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it fed right into our kids' uh, mentality, right into their nature, and they really enjoyed uh, causing havoc on that offensive line. I definitely want to unpack that and talk about that. But before we get to that, I do want to talk about this because you and I kind of walked into similar situations uh, with you going to Spring Westfield, me coming to PG. When you got there, you have some kind of like a ready-made defensive line. Like mm -hmm. one of the big reasons why I came up here, and, and I can share this without, you know, but they, they sent me a picture of the dudes that I was going to be coaching. And two of them are in the SEC right now. And, mm -hmm. yeah, you can better believe that that had an influence on me coming up here. Um, and, and so they were, they were already super talented. Right. And it's like, for me, they were going to be juniors. It's like, how do you take these two super talented kids and try to harness that and make them better? Right. When, um, you know, they've, they've already been super successful. So I'm just curious, like, how did you go about doing that this year? You know, you get there in the summer, it's kind of late, you know, and these guys, your guys are, you know, some of your more talented ones are seniors. How do you get that buy-in and then find those ways to like critique them and get them better and get them to trust you and, and do that and move those guys forward um, when they already are super talented. So uh, I had two, one was, uh, I guess, AJ was the one that was the, or he was the defensive MVP as a junior um, coming into the year. And then I had a uh, Golson, which was my defensive end and kind of my stiffer, kind of stronger defensive end. And he was a first team all district defensive end coming into the year. Uh, AJ, um, I remember watching film on him before uh, before I came. Co coincidentally enough, we played against AJ when he was a sophomore at Midway, um, but he wasn't the top dog back then. Uh, but talking to that kid, uh, and I saw some interviews of him uh, before I took the job, uh, he was a 
but really like even if we get away from the football, he speaks really well. He's a very intelligent kid. Um, and I and I saw that in him and I go, well, he's gonna buy into what I'm selling. And he bought in hook, line, and sinker. He was all into how I, I coached. Um, he loved the the progressions that we did, hips coming first, hands and, and striking, and then creating that knockback that we talked about. Um, and then he became a leader on the defense. Like I, I was able to move him around throughout the games. Sometimes he didn't like that as much because he liked playing on the left side a little bit more. But in my opinion, if we move that kid around, that offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, start to sweat if they don't know where this kid is at. And they, their play calling changes depending on where that kid is at. Um, and it can be from series to series or from down to down. We'd move them around a little bit. Just from being the left defensive tackle to the right defensive tackle or the right end to the left end, whatever it was. Um, but uh, I kind of – I know I, I talked to AJ's dad and I got in with his family. Um, and that was one of the big things I brought in to Westfield that I want to establish was a culture of, of just family, that, that I love these kids, that they're a part of my own, that I always have their back, um, that I'm not here to just to get a few wins and then take off to the next job, that I'm, in, I'm invested in their success. Now that's, that's really important. And I think what you did is probably the most important is you got to build relationships with those guys. And especially when you're not going to have them for three or four years, you know, when, when you do just have them for that one year, it's a one shot, like really, you know, more than even probably those younger guys, you know, there's some urgency there with building a relationship with that kid so that he does buy in. So let's go back to the knockback stuff. Now you've already kind of alluded to the sled work you guys did and your progression starting with, you know, six point progression and, and progressing on up. So talk about like some things specifically that you guys did to create that knockback or you're focus on, focusing on whether it be with your stance, uh, you know, uncoiling hips and all of that stuff that we like to talk about that, those terms and terminology we like to, we, we like to throw around. What, what did you guys do? All right. So um, I, I knew coming in um, that they were mostly a six inch step team that um, I'll respect to, to coach Blum. I respect the hell out of that guy. I know he's been on the podcast. I know he's, he's had a ton of success doing his slam chop chop. I've seen him speak quite a bit. Um, and I, I met him the other, uh, shoot, I met him a couple weeks, or I was like a couple months ago at a little deal. Um, but my philosophy is a little bit different. Um, I thought that the six-inch step leaves your hips too far behind. Um, I thought that a, a six-inch step leaves too much power uh, to be desired. So I really want to create a knockback, especially in the interior. Um, and I think that all starts with your base and your stance to start off with. Um, one of the things we start off the year, and we can do this without pads or anything else, was uh, our reach and gather footwork. Um, and we're, and we're re- legitimately on the sideline and we almost look like DBs that were every kid has a line, whether it's the goal line, the five, 10 and 15, and they're working horizontal down the line step. And, and, and I don't even want to call it the shuffle drill because then they start clicking heels. So I want to make sure they keep their base the entire time. Um, so they're going to step with their outside foot and then replace with their, um, with their back foot and keeping their base the entire time. So all they're doing, I mean, it's as elementary as it seems just step and gather, step and gather, or reach and gather, reach and gather. Um, and then we start adding a little implements in that. They go right, they go left, they come back. And then I add a, a, a person or offense alignment to push on their body on the line, okay? Um, the defensive lineman has his hands behind his back. He's getting pressure, and he's got to push the offensive lineman down, the, um, down to the top of the numbers, basically. And just using his footwork and his body work to keep his base, to keep his body position without using hands and struggling doing that stuff, and maintain his line as he works down. So it's almost, I wouldn't say like, like backpedal drills or anything like that, but using those lines to go back and forth 
Um, and then we keep adding on to the progression, right? So I'll let the defensive lineman get hands on them. There'll be two hands on them. The offensive lineman's leaning on them. And we're working side to side, right? We're going to go down and back, working right and left. And then we'll also do the power scoop position where you're one arm extended and you're pushing them back down the line. LSU did it with a, with just the power scoot, I believe. And I added those other implements to that. And I think that that footwork is essential because if you have a narrow base and you're trying to knock somebody back, it ain't going to work. So if I, I'm trying to make sure I have this picture right in my mind. So they're, they're starting on the sideline on a, mm-hmm. on a, on a line and working horizontally across the field. Yep. Is, that, is that correct? Tor- tor- so yep. towards the numbers. Okay. And so, um, is it, I mean, it's, I'm almost like, like a, like footwork for a linebacker or something like, mm-hmm. like a, they're taking a step or, or like a, a jab step, step, gather step and, and just step, step and replace, step and replace. Step and okay. Replace reach and, then, and gather, reach. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they're working through, like like you said, working a progression, working with the scoop. Uh, I do think I've seen that before, but I hadn't seen what you're talking about. So from there, what's what's next in the progression? So they they've gone through, and and like I said, they worked against O line, and others keep they keep maintaining their base. So um, I think that's critical. Uh, we also work stab and grab, um, and I usually do it by the numbers. I've seen it done like all together, and then kids start messing it up when we do it all together. Okay, so stab and grab, they'll be uh, paired across each other across the sideline um, and I'm a PE teacher at, at heart or way back when and I'm trying to get all these kids reps at, at the same time okay and so they're going to be it's going to be a tight shade so my eye is going to be on, on or excuse me my inside eye is going to be on his outside eye okay because you can't create knockback at a, knockback at an angle okay and so it's going to be by the numbers right so the first one is one hand so his thumb is going to be up kind of kind of like a check mark what I've done with uh, with your thumb up kind of deal uh, the Nike check mark, and you're going to slam going up, slam it right down the middle of the, uh, of the chest of your opponent. Okay. And everybody's going at the same time, or I, at least I'm behind the defense and that whole line is going. So I can walk side to side and, and check your reps and correct as needed. So you get a bunch of reps going. So you go one hand right down the middle, one hand right down the middle to say hit. And, he's, and there should be no elbow recoil. So I shouldn't be cocking back to strike. I should be coming like, let me say this correctly coming from the ground up to strike, if that makes sense, okay? Trying to recreate that. Then I'll add the outside hand, the second hand, to the bicep or to the pec. Um, and so they'll go, they'll go and slam, they'll hit two hands, and then they'll hit two hands, and then they'll bring their feet, okay? So recreating that knockback, recreating uh, that new line of scrimmage. Um, that should be like coming to balance um, right after that. Uh, after, the, after you go one hand, after you go two hands, then we'll go lock and peek. Lock and peek, everybody knows you're trying to get your head into your gap. I call it getting into the window. Um, when you get into the window, um, I don't want the, and I have some tall guys, I don't want them looking over the top of the helmet. I call it from basically the ear to the elbow is your window to look through in your gap. Because if you start looking over the top, it puts your body position in a terrible position and you're going to get blocked. Okay. So they're going to lock and peek. They're really going to get that extension out. Um, like I said, through the ear hole or through the window. Um, then they're going to release. So it'll be one hand, two hands, two hands, feet, two hands, feet, lock and peak, and then it'll be lock, peak, and release. On the lock, peak, and release, they need to really extend their release, doing the shrug or doing the, the throw away from their body, and they'll end up on the heel line looking back inside, really like stacking their gap like a linebacker would use, okay? Uh, some of those young guys like to run past that heel line, thinking the drill's over with, but the drill's not over until you get to the heel line and get your eyes in the correct position. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. And I'm a kind of like what you're talking about. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, getting a bunch of guys in the line, standing behind them and saying, all right, you go. And I'm going to be working my way up and down the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. um, I, I Oh, know, yeah, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when I see some some tape or, or drill tape and there's 15, 20 guys standing there waiting. And then I'm like, okay, well, they got one rep through the obstacle course you set up. Yes. What, I mean, yes, we have a limited time and limited, limited equipment. Yeah, I was the dude at the end of that rep line looking like looking down there <laughs> waiting for my – and so me and my, my the dude I'm going with are talking like, hey, you know, what's up? Yeah, um, because to me it's like um, let them start going, and I'm just walking up and down, and they're coaching each Making other. Making minor corrections. Yeah, yeah they're coaching – and they're coaching each other, you know, and um, and you're just walking back. Like, hey, dude, stop. All right, fix this, da-da-da, get your thumb up, elbow in, whatever. And then you're just walking back and forth, and they get a ton of reps. And, and it's just way more efficient and being able to, you know, break things down like that, you know, it's kind of like the whole part whole, um, yes, sir. you know, you kind of talk to them like, Hey, here's, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create knockback. All right. And get off a ball, get separation, go make plays. Everybody wants to do that. So now we're going to break that down in these little steps. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we'll put it all back together. And I think that's yeah. a great way to coach anything, especially something like knockback, because it is a technical thing. People who don't know football, they think you just you're just slamming into each other, and you know, uh, and, and a lot of it is physics, Ty. Like if I'm trying to hit, I'm trying to push you backwards. I can't be too wide, and I sh I can't be able to distribute my power from my legs, my hips. If I'm trying to hit you at an angle or outside my body frame, I'm losing so much power doing that. And I talk to our line coaches. We have two young line coaches, and I ask them, "Hey, man, what's tougher to defend on a run play? Tight shades or wide shades?" And they're like, "Tight is ten times harder than defending a wide shade." Because you can go whatever gap you want to, and then you can also get into my body immediately, powerfully. Yeah. So once you again, so we're if I'm if I'm at practice with you, we've done that now. We've worked our way through. Okay. Now mm -hmm. they're getting off. They're escaping. And I like the point about you know the, the young guys. A lot of times they want to escape and fly upfield. And and obviously I think that's a mistake a lot of coaches make is, you know, you can't allow kids to do that. You know, um, a lot of term I would use is you know step on that guy's cape or whatever. Um, and so now we've gone through that. Now what's the next, what's the next thing in our progression or, or what's another skill or, or thing we might address when it comes to creating that? I, I think all, uh, all D line coaches uh, do this or heck they should be doing this is a hip, hip explosion series, like the 6.3 point, um, all that stuff. So we obviously, we start off in a six point stance, your, your feet, your knees and your hands down. Uh, we do it in a, in a couple of different ways. We can do it off the field goal post. We can do it off of med balls or we can do it off of our sleds. Um, and I like to change it up on them a little bit so they're not always going against a sled or not always going against a med ball, that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, you got to see that they're coming out of their hips. Um, the, the common most Pete Jenkins term there is is pinch the penny. Um, and, and if they really get that extension and their belly button through and their hips through and their, and their cheeks are squeezing, like there's a penny in between there, um, that's when you know you got the right uh, technique going. Uh, we'll do six-point explosion. We'll move on to three-point layout. I'll do three-point layout a little bit differently. Um, I either do it, again, against either a med ball or the sled, where they're trying to go push the, the med ball back or push the sled ball or the sled. The sled or the med ball, excuse me, push them back, and they're flat back coming out, and they got to land on their belly, okay? So they're really coming out, out of their hips, out of their uh, through their feet, out their hips, and through their hands, and then land on their belly because they created that knockback. We'll bring the feet eventually. Uh, the next point would be a three-point press where they do hit the sled and then you're really bringing the hips through. 
Okay, they go from the regular three-point football stance and then bring the hips through. And then we'll also do a two-point strike as well. Um, just knees and feet and then coming up and hitting the sled as well. Um, the Jenkins sled, like I, I walked into that thing and I saw it uh, parked uh, in the end zone on the D-pad and I took a picture of it and I sent it to Josh. I sent it to now. I sent it to a couple other guys. And immediately I got a bunch of hate mail and back to my phone because they want one. And I was so happy to get one. If you, if you don't have one, I highly re recommend you ask your coach for one. We have the two-man sled, um, and we do a bunch of drills off of that. We'll hit the sled. It'll pop up. They'll buzz their feet. Um, they'll bu uh, we'll go through another drill where they lock and peek, holding the, uh, holding the pad up. We'll lock, peek, and then go to one arm, okay, going two to one. Um, we'll do lock, peek, release as well off of that, and then we can add tackling. We can add um, tackling and stripping, and we can also add double teams off that, off that piece of machine. Of that sled, yeah. If you'll uh, if you'll remind me to send me that link or whatever, I'll make sure it's in the show notes so these guys can check that out and shoot. You know, maybe you can you can uh, the right people can listen to this thing and we can get us some <laughs> get us some kickbacks or something here. Let's go, man. We don't work for free. Okay. Yeah, um, all right. So as you're going through that, because again, you know, coaches, when you, when you go somewhere new, like you have kind of this way you've been doing things, and sometimes, like for me, I'm always like you kind of have foundationally, like, this is what I believe in. This is what I do. But within that framework, you're always tweaking things, right? Like, okay. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you get on a, you get on something like this, or you talk with somebody. I mean, this happened um, for sure. This, this happens about every off season for me where you hear someone say something and you're like, man, that's, that's better than how I'm doing it. Right. Or that's, mm -hmm. that's better. So when you got there to, to spring Westfield this year, were there some things that you did tweak about your, you know, with your coaching progression or with how you did things based on either your personnel or just, you know, some things you picked up, what your kids could do, couldn't do, because, you know, now you're dealing with some guys who are super athletic, you know, maybe that opens up some things for you. Were there any things that you changed this past year? Uh, this year I was blessed to have like seven, eight guys that could really play. Um, so we did a lot more subbing than we normally do. Um, I know, I know joiners are kind of the, celebrity in this podcast um i really like his pass rush the, the approach the move the finish and i really incorporated that with my guys uh, the swipe the long arm and the counter wheel uh, that's one thing i kind of keep want to keep diving into and, and learn more interior pass rush stuff going power to counter um instead of going speed power counter um i think that was probably the biggest thing i changed um i think that uh, giving those guys that uh Offensive line like profile really helped those guys out. Like I'm like, hey, this guy is a knockback candidate, so to speak, is what I called him. Um, like, hey, this guy is an easy target to to knock back and mess up the run game, or this guy is an easy pass rush. Like he's going to be real susceptible to the long arm because you're longer than him and he, and he shoots hands quick or something like that. Um, that was one of the main things I picked up. Um, one of the things I really liked was off of uh, Cody Alexander's book, like how to break. I, I'm going to butcher the name, how to break down offenses, I believe. Um, and he started breaking down all those, uh, all the plays into families, whether it be zone plays, gap plays, draws, um, dropbacks, boots, I mean, all the plays that were in, in different families. And it really helped me watch film a lot better so I could watch all the zone plays at one time. I could watch all the gap plays at one time. Um, and I could show my kids that as well, um, depending on what type of team we have. Well, and that kind of segues into my next question, which is, you know, watching film with your guys. I think that that's, 
such an invaluable uh, tool that we all have um, at our disposal. Disposal, um, and and you know every every school is different. You know the time that you have with your guys. You know some you have more time, some you have less. Uh, here, you know since we do play a lot of guys both ways, like we live with cut ups. Like that's 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 how my guys get a lot of their film as I create cut ups for them after practice, send them to them, send a couple, attach a couple questions in there. So I know they, they respond with the answers. So I know that they at least went through and, and watch those and put some other things in there to make sure that they watch it. Anyway, how do you guys watch film? Uh, when do you do that? And what are some things you're looking at, you know, that may be beyond just the normal stuff, you know, like for you know, obvious tells and stuff with an offensive line. What are some things that though, that, that you do with your guys when it comes to watching film? Uh, like if we're starting off on a, we just finished the game on Friday night on Saturday morning, we'll usually have a zoom. Um, a bunch of my guys either work or, or have other responsibilities. Um, so we really give them off on the weekend uh, uh, other than our film session on Saturday morning. So we all get on zoom and we start going through the plays. I start highlighting them, um, start putting notes in on the plays. Cause sometimes when I'm watching the game, I'll notice it while I'm watching it on my own. Then I watch it with the kids and I'll forget I mentioned something. So putting those notes in there uh, really helps me stay on track. Um, that's usually the Saturday. Uh, on Monday after practice is usually a long film day. I'm going to try to find what that team and what, or excuse me, what that team's identity is, and I want to attack that first. Whether they're a run team, or a, a counter team, a power team, um, are they a 80, 90 percent pass team like what some of the teams we played this year? Um, and that's what we're going to watch first because that's what we got to stop first. Um, I kind of sort it out by explosive plays, depending on what time of team we're playing. Um, some teams that we play are, are, are kind of hurting for explosive plays, um, and they kind of struggle throughout the year, so I only show the explosive plays instead of showing all the bad snaps and that kind of stuff, so I kind of limit and create that cut-up for them. Um, things that I look uh, differently, uh, I'm trying to think. I know for passing situations, I look at pre-snap, um, presentation by the offense, whether they're a uh, six-man pre-snap, um, possible protection, or they're a five-man, or are they seven, where they have a fullback in there and the running back, or they have a tight end and the running back. Um, and I show that to our kids. And I think one thing that really helped our kids out this year is that we had extra time early on in the year. Um, and we had a lot of meetings, and I went through, and I drew everything up on the board. And I go, hey, man, there are no dumb questions in this room. I know most of y'all did not play offensive line. And so you do not understand blocking schemes. And so I drew up dart. I drew up counter. I drew up GT counter. I drew up GF counter. I drew up um, the difference between stretch and inside zone. They're between G, um, power read, all those things. And uh, even the different protections I drew up because I've coached offensive line before. So those kids would understand and they can ask questions like it's just a regular classroom. And I go, hey, man, there's, this is not a time to make fun of your teammates for asking these questions because these things can help us along the way. Um, I want to eventually make, give them quizzes on that stuff. So they know it. So they can tell me, Hey coach, when they get to the sideline, they ran G or they ran counter or they ran, um, split protection or whatever it was, um, and be more of a student of the game. Kind of like, a, kind of like what your previous guest said, um, that they have to understand the game. They have, they have to be a student of the game to be, there's no more dumb defensive line. It, it, we can't be that way anymore. We have to yeah. evolve. We're not cavemen. Yeah. Well, and one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm about to uh, allude to our our very exclusive D line text thread that we're both a part of. 
No, but one of the uh, one of the things that we were talking about that was on Coach Noonan's disruption chat last night was football pet peeves, and mm-hmm. you know we could we could uh, just torpedo this whole conversation and just just tail off on <laughs> football pet peeves. But one of them was when like sometimes I feel like the rest of the defense treats the D line like they're babies and you got to take care of them. And what like like for instance, you know that linebackers are always told, well, just make the D lineman right. Okay. Just make him right. Cause his big dumb butt doesn't know what gap is, you know, and, and, uh, or get him lined up, you know, like, and, and one thing I hate is when D lineman turn around and look at the linebackers, like, well, what's the strength call? What's the, like you, you have eyes, you're close. Like he's got to work. He's got to get protections. Like, and, and my perspective has changed obviously a little bit um, coaching those guys, but like, we can't not, be knuckle draggers. Right. Exactly. Like, yes. Should the linebackers, should they set the beat? Yes, that's their job. But also, like, help yourself, man. Like, know what's going on. Don't have make, make don't have someone out there holding your hand. I, I'll be honest with you. I was guilty of that as a player. Like, I was waiting for the answer from behind me to tell me which way to go. Um, because I just wanted to go, oh, right, this is my gap. Let's go. Um, but I think that day and age is over with, especially with how much film we get and how, how much uh, time we get in the film room. I think the film, when you and me played, was a lot different than what we get now in Hope. Um, it, it, it's completely different. It's not on VHS anymore or DVDs. Um, but like I tell the kids, like they don't realize this, but I'm like, all y'all play Madden. I know this because y'all post each other's scores on Instagram when you beat your buddy. And and I'm like, does your play calling change when it's third and 12 compared to third and two? And they look at me, they're like, yeah, it changes. And I go, well, why don't you play the game differently? Like, why don't you adjust? Like, hey, it's third and 12. Pass rush, get off the ball right now. But there's kids that sometimes at the computer, they never look over there. They don't bother bother to look. And I go, hey, man, that could have been a highlight on your on your, on your your uh, tape or your highlight tape. But you just stood there and run blocked on, or excuse me, played the run on third and 12. Oh, oh pet peeve. Oh, there he is. There's, there's one. Pet peeve. Coaching pet peeve right there. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some pressure on you here. And, again, throw a question back at you that you asked the guys uh, this week when it t- comes to talking, attacking slide protections. And I think that that's something that D-line coaches, you know, like to, to you know, you really kind of dig in deep, especially this time of year when you're kind of doing your evaluations of your, you know, from, from the past season and what worked and what didn't work, what you want to keep, what you want to get rid of. Um, and you asked a question about, you know, with a, with a, a six man protection, you know, you got half and half slides. What are a way, what are, or what are, you got half and half. What's the way to attack the slide side? So, have you found a good answer to that question? Have you heard some some possible theories or hypothesis? What you got for that question? All right. So um, you might have to cut the recording on this one, Ty. Or might only select this to defensive coaches. Don't send this to any offensive guy. But uh, the slide side is always tough because you have the, the offensive lineman's job is fairly simple. They have A gap, B gap, C gap to the center guard and, and, and the tackle. Um, the I think the weak spot in that area would be the man side A, if that makes sense, right? The man side A is normally picked up by the back. I think any kind of delay blitz or anything coming across their vision, or excuse me, away from their vision into that A gap is going to hit home, I believe. Um, if we run a, like a stunt towards the man side, whether it be a twist or, or a, a, and a tackle stunt, that should, I would hope, get the running back's eyes, who, who's normally responsible for that A gap, to look away and then bring a backer coming the other way. Um, because that center should work back opposite A, is what I would, is what I want to say. Now, 
like I said, don't share that with any offensive coaches. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I think, I think, and, and, and offensive guys know like wherever their running backs helping, mm-hmm. like that's where their weakness is because especially at our level, especially at my level, no doubt. you know, no doubt. The, the running backs are not always very, I, I mean, I mean, we could ask a running back coach right now, how long do y'all spend on pass protection? Yeah. Individually? Right. And it's not going to be very much. Right. Right. I mean, NFL, that's how those dudes get paid. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that can, how yep. well can they block and protect the most important player, you know, in the sport, and that's the quarterback. But with our guys, that's not their job. Um, and so I think that is, that is a, when you are breaking it down in general, if I were that running back's helping, go attack that dude or put that dude in an uncomfortable situation where his eyes, he, you got him a lot to look at. You know, maybe he sees where he's kind of, his help is and that like, key's moved. And mm-hmm. so I think that's all. Most being, of those running backs, I believe that their, their rule is going to be check A to outside. And I'm hoping, obviously, coming from the other side, possibly, he checks A on a delayed blitz. It's going to look clear. He looks away, and then there's my dude showing up in the A-gap, and you have a A-gap pressure right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, as you now, we're in the spring, you know, kind of looking ahead to spring ball, and then, and then on in the next season, um, you know, you're going to have, you know, have some guys, you've had some guys move on, obviously some really talented guys. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you bring along and develop the young guys in your program, kind of the heir parents to your defensive line and also help along those older guys who are coming back? We're still going through like a learning progression because these kids uh, a year ago, were still not in school. They were still doing their virtual learning. Um, so it wasn't a whole bunch of kids on campus from what I understand at Westfield, but I told the guys flat out, like we're graduating 30, 35 sacks from last year. And that's a lot um, between three or four guys. And that being said, like I have to develop pass rushers. So I've been looking a lot and studying a lot on how to rush a passer, how to counter correctly, whether it be from the interior or from the ends, because we really helped out our secondary uh, this past year. Not that they didn't have dudes back there, but it's, it's a lot better when the quarterback's running for his life. I mean, we all know that. Like I said, I need to develop pass rushers. I think the guys understand what I expect out of them to stop the run. Um, the young bucks are still catching up. They still kind of want to shoot gaps and, and just swim over the, the offensive lineman as fast as they can, have a narrow base. And I think you and, and me, we both know this. Uh, it might work one time out of five. And the next, the other four times you get blown up. And that's where you get real narrow on your base and, and, and get destroyed. And congratulations, you had a great get off, um, but you had no base and you had no power. You didn't get knocked back. And so some of those young guys are still learning that stuff. I know they've watched a bunch of like highlights and stuff like that of Aaron Donald just shooting through a gap. But I'm like, dude, that dude works on it every single day on, on his hand motions, on how he gets through there, his quickness, how he times the ball. You don't do that. You know what I mean? I'd rather my guys be the most consistent guys and we do basic stuff better than anybody else than you make the super spectacular play every once in a while. I'd rather the guy be the most consistent second baseman or most consistent shortstop there is and never make an error or rarely make an error compared to make a super spectacular play and then make three errors after that. You know what I mean? So I really try to preach consistency. Um, they're learning how to work in the weight room. Um, these young guys we maxed today. Um, some, some of those young bucks got really humbled when they didn't, uh, they didn't get down low enough on that squat today. Um, they, they got humbled. I know I coach them up quite a bit, but when they put that weight on the bar, um, it doesn't lie. I used to hate, and that's a strong word, but it's how I felt, January and, and February of the offseason. It's so, it just as seems As a coach like, or as a, as a player? Well, both. Um, <laughs> both. But 
it's 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 and it's better now as a coach. Um, and I, and I'll say why here in a second. But it's still maybe my least two favorite months of the whole calendar. But just because um, it is, it seems like those are the longest two months of the whole year. You're kind of getting back from a break. You're getting in a routine. Weather's usually not good enough to get outside and do some stuff. But I do think uh, now as a coach, it is fun to start seeing. Like that's when you see. All right, those others, those seniors, they're gone now. Who's going to start stepping up? Who's exactly. going to who's going to exactly. make a move in the weight room? Who's going to make a move? You know, being a vocal leader, that type of that type of person. And really, when you can't get out and do all the football stuff, like January, and February is when you find that stuff out. You start you start to find that it starts stuff revealing out. a lot of character. Right, exactly. It really does. And and so now because of that, I've learned to embrace and love January and February, um, and and for what it is. Uh, you have to have that part. And I think and that's really important. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, I almost treated it like I was back at the Citadel um, trying to be one of those leaders and, and listening to uh, and trying to figure out what kind of leaders I had in the room, um, seeing who's going to come after school and get an extra lift in, see who's going to come after school and run or put that extra work in or who's going to start dipping out or whose grades start to drop. Um, it starts to tell me, like I said, a lot about some of these kids' character. Um, I know I got to stay on them. Um, it's challenging for me because I got track going on and other things going on. I'm, I'm a six U softball coach now as well. If you want to interview me later on that. Uh, there we but, go. <laughs> I don't know anything. about. What, what would the name of a six U softball podcast be? I don't know, but my team know. is called the wild things. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's yeah. All right. The dirt, the dirt bags. I don't know. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Keep your front shoulder down. I don't know. Yeah. Or keep your parents sitting in the stands and not on the, the fence behind first base and third base. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, Hey, Hey, let's, uh, I've been looking forward to this part. Let's, let's now let's, let's put you under the gun here for a second. We're going to do our rapid fire segment. We'll probably bring in some old trusty faithful questions, but I want to try some new ones out on you because I know, you can, I know you can handle it. So here's the first one. All right. You seem like a, a, a very learned person, not a knuckle dragger like we were talking about football coach besides football what's something you pride yourself on knowing a lot about oh boy um pretty good at food i'm a pretty fat guy i like going to food i like barbecuing uh during quarantine that's all i watched was uh cooking stuff and, and how to barbecue how to smoke stuff um i thought that was the only thing that kept me sane while sitting in quarantine with a pregnant wife um, you can ask my boys. I have them over. I had them over quite a bit during the season. Uh, I gave them some pork, uh, what is pork spare ribs and some pulled pork. And man, they ate that thing up. And every, uh, every once in a while, they, act, they look at me like, hey, coach, excuse me, when's the next, uh, when's the next team dinner? When's the next time we're coming over? Um, even my seniors are still asking. So I guess I got to do something for them again. I got to cook up something else for them. But yeah, I like cooking a lot. Uh, I need to learn from my mom, my mom. Uh, learn from my Cuban grandmother, and I need to learn some Cuban cuisines. Man, they're those hit home quite a bit. Do you have a favorite Cuban dish? Uh, is is there one? Yeah, they ain't one. There's a lot of them. Well, because so of, I I've like had, like I think I, is really really good. Okay, uh, I like yuca, which is uh, kind of like potato, potato almost. Um, there's a pernil, which is uh like pretty close to pulled pork, not, not necessarily like the barbecue taste of it, but it's really, really good. Very nice on the, uh, 
on the, you, you, I, I, I told I try, you, man. If I try I to pronounce you. that stuff, it's like with your last name. I butchered your last name. Like I, I would just stumble over myself. So I'm just going to leave that <laughs> stuff alone. Okay. Um, here, here's a new question for you. Uh, most coaches wear sunglasses. We're outside a lot. It's, it's bright, you know, that sort of thing. Are you a, first of all, do you wear sunglasses and are you a cheap sunglasses guy, expensive sunglasses, somewhere in the middle? Where do you fall on your sunglasses? I'm an expensive sunglass guy, unfortunately. Um, I wear Oakley's. Um, I have very bad eyesight, so I have to wear contacts. And uh, normally I'm always squinting if I'm not wearing sunglasses. So those things stay on top of my head. Sometimes I even walk to class with them on by accident. But yeah, I have uh, quite a few embarrassing number amount of Oakleys in my house um, that I've gone through. Yeah, for forever I was a cheap sunglasses guy, forever. Mm-hmm. And um, you buy that first pair, and it's gone. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's 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 where I'm at now. Is is I kind of have I have Oakleys, I have Ray Bans. I like I kind of like both of those. Um, and and yeah, man, it's it's uh, I will still buy some cheap ones. It's kind of just like you know, knock around, whatever to have around. Yep. To have around. Um, but man, it's once, once you do make the investment, it's there's, there's no turning back. Okay. Uh, here's, here's the next question for you. We talked about football pet peeves and football coaching pet peeves. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's what I want to hear from you. Okay. Pet peeve, but here, here's, here's the pet peeve. Here's the scenario. Pet peeves for when you are at coaching clinics, we're in the off season coaches going to coaching, to coaching clinics. We'll be going to coaching school this summer. What's a pet peeve for you when you're at a coaching clinic? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, coaches that are underdressed and don't treat the profession uh, professionally, so to speak. They're either walking around in like basketball shorts or whatever. I think that's a big pet peeve because it's a great time to network and meet people and you never know who you're going to meet. Um, and I just think to myself, like, not that I'm wearing a suit and tie by any means, but I'm also not going to be wearing basketball shorts or cargo shorts or anything like that. I think that's a pet peeve. Uh, guys that talk during lectures or guys that ask questions that already know the, they already know the answer to is a good one. Uh, guy that takes a picture after every slide is a good one. With his uh, iPad. With his with iPad. His iPad so with his school-issued iPad. After the coach has already said, hey, I'll give you this whole presentation, whatever you want, just let me know. Or some of them are even more advanced now. Where you're like, hey, scan the QR code and you get this I presentation. Got one more for you. You still have the guy who's taking the, the pictures of the slides, and it'll be like, it'll be like a slide of nothing. It's like, you know, <laughs> like a picture of their football stadium, and they're taking a picture of it. I don't know. I got one more. So I went to this uh, this clinic uh, up here in, in North Houston, in the Tomball area. It was O line clinic, so I was spying on the enemy, kind of so to speak, looking at different protections, looking at what drills they do. I'm trying to find weaknesses and stuff and, and, and went with some buddies. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm listening and it's good stuff. Like the Baylor guys talking, uh, Mateo's awesome dude. Uh, TCU guy talked, great guy. And uh, pretty much through every lecture, the guy behind me was snoring. The guy behind me was snoring. And I'll tell you, I, I, once we get off the recording, I'll tell you who it is. But I mean, he would jolt and his water bottle would fall down. And I'm like, why are you here? Why'd you spend the money here to catch your, Catch up on sleep, though. Like, yeah, he was probably out on the town a little bit too late the night before. And so, I guess, man, um, you know, just stay home, man, hiding from his wife for the day, I guess, at the coaching clinic. All right. 
Um, here, here's the, uh, here's the next question for you. Um, talk to me about, uh, your taste in music. You're from South Houston. Um, what's, what's on the coach Gergela's playlist, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, game day. That's a question I've asked before, but game day playlist, taste of music. What's, what, what's, what's on there? Uh, I like Houston rap. Like I listen to Mike Jones and Paul Wall and those guys. Um, I do like some of the older rap stuff, whether it be Dr. Dre or, or all those guys that just went on the Super Bowl. Um, I'll go, I'll listen to some country stuff as well. Um, kind of the newer country, uh, whether it be, I'm really a big fan of Chris Stapleton. Uh, maybe not game day stuff, but just uh, on the way to work. Uh, I'll listen to some reggaeton and also some salsa too in there. Um, going back to the roots. Um I, I mean, I listen to all kinds of stuff, rock, whether it be Rage Against the Machine, Pearl Jam. I mean, I'm all over the place, man. I'll be honest with you. If you have uh, some time off, time off is sometimes a foreign concept for coaches, but you have a, you know, you have an afternoon off, let's say, um, what are you going to go do? What's, what's, what's something you're going to go do completely to yourself? Uh, what, what, what are you going to go do? Well, completely to myself. I don't know what that's like anymore with a one-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, I haven't been to the movies in forever. Um, hanging out with my little girls, man. Those, those, little, those little things, those little girls are, are my world. Like, I try to find different things, whether it be a play place. Um, now we're working on all the softball drills outside. Um, that's what I really enjoy doing. Um, I, I really enjoy that family aspect of it. Um, I, know, uh, I know I didn't mention this early, but my father passed away when I was really, really young. I was probably six, uh, 16 years old, and I kind of think of all the time I didn't get with him. And so I really try to maximize my time with my girls. I need to make an effort to put my phone down and, and really enjoy my time with them. Yeah, I think you're speaking to all of us when it when it comes to that for sure. Uh, can you can you do your daughter's hair? Do you do your daughter's hair? It's rough. Yeah, it's rough. Like, Same I here. The pon- I could do the ponytail. Um, that took me a little while just because I'd either knot it up or whatever. But braid it and that kind of stuff, man. You're talking to the wrong dude. dude. Yeah, no. Um, hey, whenever, you see my hairdo? Oh, yeah, yeah, hairdo? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when I, I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, and and so my wife's not here. You know, if it's school or something's crazy going on, or, or it's church, or and, and it's like maybe we can do ponytail or this other little thing where it's kind of halfway up and it's basically a ponytail. But here's what I've learned: that big bows cover a lot. You know. Um, oh, my, my, my so, wife is big on the boats. Yeah. So you can, you can get away with a subpar, you know, hair job. If you, if you got, a, you got some big bows. So um, even <laughs> if she doesn't want to wear it, I'm like, Hey, you're wearing a big bow. Okay. Uh, do you have some, do you have, uh, I'm sure you've, you've, you've been rolling deep on the uh, Encanto uh, at your house. Oh, man. What are some, what are some other Bro. shows that are on at your house? All right. Let's commiserate. Let's, let's kind of, uh, share in each other's misery with what's what's been going on with TV at your house. The, the two shows right now, because we have a five, like I said, five year old and one year old, is straight Encanto and Cocomelon. Well, we get a lot of that Cocomelon oh, that one year old because yeah, because she, I mean, we we listen to it either on the mute on the radio or she, we have it on as like background music and it's like soothing. Yeah, her. like she yeah. doesn't necessarily necessarily watch it for so to speak. But she'll sit there and just listen to the songs and go play and that kind of stuff. Um, thank God they put it on Netflix now, so there's no commercials. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two, man. 
Yeah, we're out of the Coco Melon uh, stage, thank goodness. God bless. Um, but we're in we're in some <laughs> other equally annoying stages. All right, we'll get you out here on this one, Coach. And this isn't a question. This is just an opportunity. We've done this. We used to do this, and I'm going to bring it back and just give you an opportunity to shout out some coaches or some guys that you've either learned from or, um, you know, respect. And, you know, I know people don't always like goodness because they feel like they're going to leave someone out. So if you're, oh, yeah. if you're Coach Ugellis' boy and he doesn't say your name, don't get your feelings hurt, okay? He loves you. But, Coach, just shout us out some guys that you want to highlight that maybe don't always get the attention or the uh, acclamation that, that maybe they deserve. All right. So I, I kind of thought about this and, and I know there's quite a few that I, that I owe a lot to and owe more than, than they'll ever know kind of deal. So coach Hume, he was my high school head coach and I worked for him at Midway for five years. Uh, coach Barry Campbell, he's over now, at the, he's the OC at Belton high school. He, uh, he was my offensive line coach. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator. He was awesome. He's probably uh, one of the number one reasons why I became a coach. Uh, coach Tony Franklin, uh, Tony Frankie, uh, he passed away uh, quite a few years ago, probably eight or nine years ago now. Um, funniest dude. He taught aquatic science, offensive line coach. Um, every joke in the book he would throw at us. And, and he loved, loved, loved uh, football in Clements High School. Um, I give a shout out to uh, Aaron now. Uh, like I said, he was a big mentor of mine. I, I, I'm so glad they got the head coaching job at Mejia uh, up in North Texas. I was super proud of him. Um, I know that was a long time coming, and, and I know he's going to do an awesome job up there for the Black Cats. Coach Knowles. Uh, Coach Knowles is almost like a father to me. Uh, he was a defensive coordinator when I was at Midway. Uh, his, his wife took care of my, my oldest when uh, we moved to Waco because we didn't have any family there, and, and she stepped up. Her, her, his kids are awesome. Um, and he, he's always had my back kind of deal. And I told him that this week and I really appreciate him. Well, yeah, coach, that's awesome. I know coach now, you know, obviously he's been on this podcast and, and, uh, we've, we've been in touch. He's a little bit closer to me now being over here in, in Mejia and, but it's, you know, we are products of the guys that we come up under. And I think that's why you see a lot of young guys get out of the profession because they don't latch on to those, those guys who really mold and shape and, and help them along the way. And there, there are, countless guys that have really helped me and and uh, been there for me as well and, and honestly I know that's that's the case for you there's one one more person I really want to give a shout out to and really it's a group of people and it's that Hispanic uh, Texas Coaches Association um, yeah. they've done a lot for me um, networking and meeting guys I would have never known um, I know Peter Noonan is in there and there's several other guys uh, coach Jacinto and and like I said a bunch of guys coaches throughout the state that we share um, all kinds of information, all kinds of techniques, all kinds of job openings. Um, they're awesome, man. Like, if you have a chance to join, uh, please do so. I'm an open book, and I'm more than willing to help some young guys out if they have any questions. Um, but, but that Hispanic Coaches Association, I think, is really important because I think we need more uh, representation in the coaching field because there's a lot of Hispanic kids that want to play football, but there's a bunch of times there's not a lot of Hispanic coaches that want to coach. Like I said, I'm more than willing to help out. Um, you don't have to be Hispanic to join. And we have a social at coaching school that uh, everybody's welcome to attend. That is uh, usually a really, really big deal. Coach, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. I know we'll be in touch, but want to wish you and the, and the Mustangs the best of luck in, in, uh, in 2022. I appreciate it, man. Really appreciate my man, Coach Gillis, joining us today. He's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. So make sure you go and give him a follow at Coach underscore 
U87. You get a little bit of football, you get some barbecue, you get some nice, well-intended sarcasm. So uh, you get a little bit of everything with Coach with Coach uh, Yergela. So make sure you go and give him a follow and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Also, if you like the episode and enjoyed what we have going on here at the, on the podcast, then hey, do us a favor. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us spread the word about our podcast here. And look, it takes about as long as it does your nose guard to crush a hot and ready from Little Caesars. Okay. Also, if you have a suggestion for future episodes, you can send us a DM on Twitter. This is your podcast. You can send us a DM on Twitter at KYPD podcast or shoot us an email. uh, And that is KYPD podcast at gmail.com. Our quote of the day. Our quote of the day is a special one. And I I think Coach Regalis is really going to like it because it comes from A.J. Holmes. He is defensive tackle whom I mentioned at the top of the episode who was not just one of the most disruptive defensive linemen in the state this past season, but one of the most impactful players in all the state as well. A.J.'s quote, which is from an article written about him on sportsillustrated.com, goes like this. It's about our preparation through the week, our hard work through the week, paying attention to detail, playing 110%, Trade flying to the ball, hitting hard, and playing Westfield defense. Once we get those big old linemen on their heels, it's over from there. Well, you know what? I think that just about sums up our conversation today perfectly. So that's a wrap for this episode of KYPD. Join us right back here next week when we return to the college ranks to talk some D-line play. Until then, hey, have a great week. Go talk to your head coach by getting one of those sleds that Coach Gellis was talking about. I'll post a link to that on our Twitter feed this week. And look, dude, for goodness sake, break down and buy some quality sunglasses. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Hey, and Coach, you're Gellis. Tell these guys what else they better do. Keep your pads down.